Commander Legends is here, and after a year of speculation, anticipation, and a non-zero amount of trepidation, players have been presented with a seemingly fun and nuanced set that hopefully won't break Magic's favourite format. So what design philosophies are we most excited about, and is printing an entire set directly into EDH healthy for the format? Welcome to Magic the Flavoring, the Magic the Gathering podcast, where we talk about all things magic, flavor design, and lore. I am your host, Andy Ban. Hello! This is Nathan Cancel. <laughs> that was, that I thought was awful. I'd change it up. I, I yeah, thought I'd change it up. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about Commander Legends. It has been Yay. one year and a week since on October the 30th last year, Gavin Verhey was on the Command Zone podcast doing the Commander Legends slash Year of Commander uh, announcement reveal video. Um, and what a year it's been, Nathan. Right. So I imagine it kind of like um, the Always Sunny is Philadelphia, where um, Danny DeVito is going, can I offer you an egg in this trying time? But instead of an egg, <laughs> it's a commander set. And I'm like, good, this yeah. is the perfect time. <laughs> you know? What so, a year it's been. We've had elections and viruses and, more importantly, Magic the Gathering controversies coming out of the wazoo. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been trying. We are currently in weirdly the midst of the US elections. Uh, we're not going to go on about it because it's frankly as people in the UK it's more of a spectator sport at this point. But um mm-hmm. like the the election day happened and went past and now we're still counting the votes. Um so if you're listening to this if by the release time which should be on Saturday we're recording this on the Friday the elections have been called like big love to all of our American listeners whatever which way like we hope you're doing all right um but if we're still in the midst of it then cool i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess enjoy enjoy the tumultuous time <laughs> it's gonna be oh. the next week and i yikes uh, and as, as that's we, going on we're going into another lockdown so you know it's it's, it's trouble based oh yeah <laughs> yeah we've got a quote unquote quote unquote four-week lockdown in the uk which um but then they've extended our furlough uh payments which for those of you that don't know what furlough is uh it's it's kind of like the the government sanctioned um like money scheme to help people with their wages and stuff during lockdown. Um, they've extended that till March, which is great. I know. Suspicious, but isn't it? It's a bit suspicious, <laughs> a bit sus. You've yeah. extended it till March, but it's only a four-week lockdown. Mm. Um, and ironically, the previous job which I had, because I did luckily manage to find work um, since the last lockdown where my work, quite understandably, couldn't keep our venue open because of the situation. Um, the funny thing is that my official last day at that job would have been the day that they announced the extension of the furlough. So I was already made redundant exactly the day that they went, oh, no, but we can keep on supporting oh, businesses. Nice. And I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. It's <laughs> like, just sods bloody oh, law. Right. Um, but, you know, it's it's an experience we're all having at the moment. I mean, let's let's uh, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about something nice. Have you done anything nice in the past couple of weeks? Because I kind of feel like we've started off on a bit of a bummer. 
Um, yeah, to be fair, like um, I, so I've bought a audio interface uh, for a synthesizer that I bought a year ago and realized that I'm a te- technological um, numpty and I don't know how to connect everything up and get things recording. You know, when you're like, you're trying to get like a USB key into like a, um, into an HDMI thing as an old person, you're like, I, why, why, why don't you work? Um, was, <laughs> I did that for about a month, finally got all of my shit together because I've got, um, I had my birthday at the beginning of last month. So now I've actually got some time that I can, I can start, you know, recording stuff. And also on the other side of that, Nathan was really late to the Hollow Knight part. So I've been playing that last week, and holy crap, that's a great game. Oh, so, it's a very good game. It's yeah, a very good game. Yeah. Um, I I went to see Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, the 1990s uh, Batman animated series movie at the Prince Charles Theatre in Leicester Square in London. Um, oh, so I got nice. to see that on the big screen, which was really cool. Um, and I did the same thing uh, last month with Akira, um, the seminal anime film. That's so. Yeah, what I found is that obviously outside of lockdown, a lot of cinemas. I mean, the Prince Charles does this anyway in Leicester Square. If you've never been, um, then they always do. They they're, they're the ones that do like Rocky Horror Picture Show sing alongs, or they're. Yeah, I saw Hell- one of those. that was really good. Yeah, like I I saw Hellraiser a midnight showing on Halloween a couple of years ago. Um, so they do all these old things, but a lot of chain cinemas in the UK are starting to show older films, which people of a certain age might not have got to see the first time around, mm-hmm. like people of our, our sort of age, like late 20s, early 30s, who are still in the category of kind of like target audience for classic anime films, mm. might were just a bit too young to see them just as they came over. So now, you know, they've got a big audience for that kind of thing. And obviously, if anyone of any age who's interested can kind of go and see them. So yeah, that's what I did. And I'm also making a D&D character later tonight, which will be interesting, because I've never done one by myself. I've always had help because I'm a D&D like, novice. So yeah, it's going to be good. Oh, very cool. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Fully expressive. I like it very much. Commander Legends! Let's talk Commander about Legends. Commander Legends. <laughs> That's enough about us. Let's have a sit down. The funny thing is, I am just sat just sipping a cup of tea, just having a nice conversation with you. It's lovely. <laughs> I don't know, mate. We've got a lot to talk about. I mean, the funny thing is, realistically, we, we, we're not going to do a full set review because, crikey, right, that would take weeks um, so what, we, what we're likely to do is we're going to have a little breakdown of like our top three kind of um, mechanical and um, like design ethics um, or, or, or like um, broad mechanics that kind of thing we'll have, a, we'll have a look at things in broad strokes whilst having a little dance across the uh, cards so for sure yeah so we're going to do the same sort of thing that we did for M21 where we did an episode looking at the design philosophies as you say that's what we're going to be doing this week and then next week we're going to be breaking down some of the lore tidbits um, we didn't do this for Zendikar because for Zendikar there was the storyline so we thought we'd do more of a general hype review of the set and then focus on the storyline but because there's no story because this is an ancillary product and they don't always do them for I'd say they rarely do it at all for any set but the ancillary products are kind of the last on the list for having narratives which is understandable um we're going to be doing the design then lore episode and you know i think even we'll see how we go next week we might even do a second lore episode because yeah 71 new oh my god 71 new commanders and Mm. let's just start off by saying they've for me personally looking at this set as a lore fan and as a commander fan i think they've knocked this out the fucking park i absolutely really do like initial thoughts like before we go into it um, yeah, like it's, it's it's over. It's been overwhelming. The amount of the amount of the amount of good things out of this set is fantastic. We have support across uh, colors, across mechanics, uh, everything from niche to quite obvious power has been 
you know, cards that may split the difference in terms of like um, whether or not they should have reprinted, you know, Black Lotus or not. But uh, beyond beyond that, I think they've done a fantastic job of creating a really diverse and nuanced set. And I think it's a shame that the current climate means that you can't draft this as effectively as, as we should be, because I think mm. that's I think that's where this this deck and this uh, set would shine. The problem is a lot of the um, reviews and a lot of the uh, public opinion will be based from a porting it directly into their constructed decks you know it's not looked at it from a limited point of view and i think a lot of the cards are basically you know hot or cold based on whether or not they fit into your latest spice or you know your old brew that now gets a revamp whereas even from a limited point of view because this is technically what the set's supposed to be built like is you know um like a novelty limited environment i think it's phenomenal i think they've done a really good job of supporting not only the law but also the design and the mechanics for for, for commander um i think they've pushed the envelope in the exact right way without going too far i don't think they've modern horizoned um the the the, the format at all i don't think they've put too much out there that's going to kind of bust things open i think arguably cards like you know fist guardianship is probably more uh detrimental to the format and that came from a specific you know commander deck whereas you know it's, as a full commander set yeah i really have mm. no complaints Very yeah cool. i agree um we've we've obviously been in i say it like a recent time of turmoil in magic it's more like a game of thrones winter where we're in this kind of we're in this this climate where there doesn't seem to be a set that's gone by without some sort of controversy. And Commander Legends has had a couple of controversial cards. Um, so Jeweled Lotus, which is the so-called Black Lotus in Commander. The uh, what was the 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 Black Agent card, which steals your Opp- stuff? Uh, Agent of Opposition. Yeah. Agent of Opposition, which creates treasures on other people's card draws and replacing them, kind of a notion of thief kind of thing. These were two cards which people thought were maybe a bit too busted but no matter like but then very quickly i think people were quick to kind of go how often are you going to see these at a table you don't have to necessarily mm-hmm. play these cards and also i think you're overblowing just the magical christmas land in which these all win every game they're ever played and there has also been stylistic controversies so there's the uh blue green naga commander um i forget the name because there's 70 um legendaries but people were quite quick to point out that the artwork for that was maybe less of an homage to um eastern religions and more of a kind of appropriation it is a of those, isn't it? Well, this is what they tried to avoid with kaladesh didn't they they wanted to avoid having uh Vidalcan, um because it had um they, they looked too similar to the blue depictions of gods from um from um, from asian religions the set hasn't been um without its controversies but also i think that when it comes to play design at least the controversies which this set could have potentially had, I think, have been quickly sort of um, reality checked. I think, yeah, and I think on the whole, yeah, on the whole, this set is doing okay. We do currently have the um, current full uh, card spoiler, so we have the the card library, and now it's just uh, down to playing these cards. So yeah, we're going to talk about um, our sort of top three each design philosophies going across the set. Some of them will be quick, some of them will be a bit more in depth. Um, Nathan, why don't you kick us off? Okay, okay, so I'm going to talk first and foremost um, about um, the monarchy. Um, lo- 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 long live the king um, or queen, depending on where, which country you're from. Um, I like the fact that... Um, so a quick run by the, um, the, the mechanics of the set. Um, we've got um, monarch, cascade, partner, and encore, um, which I think are all very powerful within what they do within the set. But the monarchy was really interesting because they did a good job of spreading it across all of the colours, which I think is something they really needed. I know that obviously Conspiracy was a bit of a difficult set to get hold of. It was a bit niche. And even for myself, as much as I think it's probably one of the best draft um, ideas in a, in a long time i never actually got to actively draft it so i can't even speak from from sub- subjective like subjectively playing it and being like this is the best thing ever let's get some more packs and do it again even from object- objectively looking at the set it looks very interesting and i think monarchy creates some really interesting dynamics within any game like as soon as i mean you've got a queen marchessa deck for example um mm-hmm. and, you, and you and i are quite similar in the fact that we like 
to be proactive in, when we're playing EDH. Like we like being proactive in, um, in with our creatures. And we want to you always want to be doing something. If you can't do anything else because you're mana screwed or whatever, you might as well start swinging at someone. You might provoke. You might as well provoke some. Um, allegiance with one person to you know double down on the player that's you know a little bit ahead or say create a little bit of a rivalry because who doesn't like a game where it's uh, pettily throwing pebbles at each other across the table mm. while the other two players look back like a tennis match um, and I think the fact that they did all these courts um, specifically uh, the court cycle so each color got an enchantment that when it enters the battlefield you become the monarch and then at the beginning of your upkeep you get an effect and then that effect is um is is um uh, expanded exponentially if you're the monarch if you're the monarch say for example the blue one is one blue blue court of cunning for an enchantment when it enters the battlefield become the monarch beginning of your upkeep any number of target players each mill two cards if you're the monarch each of those players mills 10 cards instead um <laughs> that for example is very powerful it's the fact that you're technically milling 40 cards across the table i mean and I, I'm, I'm looking at this card say from um playing the scarab god deck um, and the fact that I want both stuff in my graveyard and an opponent's graveyards. This is insane. That's an insane amount of value. Between that yeah. and also adding an extra bit of card draw on top, and you still get an effect regardless of whether or not you're the monarch or not. That in the idea of where you still get something, but you have the incentive of then you're starting to pass this idea of everyone poking each other around the table. It kind of works in the same fashion as like Goad, where it creates, it forces people to start doing things. It forces interaction. And I think they've done a good job across not just the courts, but with other cards within the set that do it in a very interesting way. Um, for example, like stapling on a monarchy onto a board wipe, for example, Mwah, chef's kiss, beautiful. Yeah. Why haven't they done that before? I mean, besides the fact that it's got Seth McKinnon art, this is a Feast of Succession, which is uh, four black, black, all creatures get minus four, minus four until end of turn and you become the monarch. The the artwork already is phenomenal, I think. If you put Seth McKinnon artwork on, on any card and automatically it's playable, right? But I mean, this is this is uh, this is a really good idea because if you if so, everyone's going like through low token strategies, and you haven't have a big commander or a couple of big blockers, you can clear the whole table, so you're not going to get recompense from people attacking you as soon as you become the monarch. Um, and then there's a rush to who can have the first hasty creature. You know that that idea of it, it just it creates play patterns and play experiences um, instead of everyone just you know sitting behind their walls playing solitaire until someone combos off. And I think that's yeah, for really- sure a really good way to expand on 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 it and as i say putting into all the colors you know green getting a little bit more i know they only ha- they had the one entourage of trust from um conspiracy that's been reprinted this set but they've also well, they also had um regal behemoth people forget also has i um, forget oh yes yeah, good well. point sorry yes well done maybe should have been reprinting the set actually i quite i think that's quite a good card potentially um, regal behemoth is one of those weird ones where it's it's such a corner case card in terms of like yes it's a mana doubler there are other mana doublers yes it's a big fat creature there are other big fat creatures yes it's the monarch there are other monarch cards but putting all those three together is mm. really cool and the fact that they also had got a little bit of traction because they errated it from lizard to dinosaur in the creature typing yeah when, uh, Ixlon came out it's just one of those things where yeah monarch has been long considered i think to be one of those mechanics which commander players love and would some have even pushed to be like can this not just be like a, a commander mechanic? Like at the yeah. start of the game, the first yeah. person to draw blood becomes a monarch. And it's, I don't think there's, as much as people have gone, no commander's fine. I've also never heard anyone really be that angry at the no. thought. So I think it's one of the few yeah. formats you can do little variants with and it actually works quite nicely because you're already playing with, I mean, rule zero obviously is, is key, but um, it is one of these f- formats that you can diversify with, say, something like uh, Plane Chase. Now, Plane mm. Chase objectively is an absurd thing to add to a game of edh but when you're playing it it actually really adds to the experience even if sometimes mm. you look down and you go what the hell is going on um also for for those that care court that all the courts add significantly to the chair tribal deck so that's a win right that's a significant <laughs> win oh yes i forgot that uh second ranked on edh rec chair tribal deck yeah, yeah exactly right. absolutely and also i think it's um good that they uh put 
um, a, a couple of these abilities on pirates because this idea, uh, say Azure Fleet Admiral, for example, is three and a blue when it ends the battlefield, become the monarch, and it can't be blocked by creatures the monarch controls. So you're guaranteed with this creature to get the monarchy back. I like this idea that you have pirates going around um, and, con- uh, you know, um, uh, conquering uncharted lands, you know, and then becoming the mm. king. That's essentially how it used to work. You know, the, the conquistadors from um, Ixalan had this feeling of conquest, but obviously monarchy didn't necessarily. I mean, that would have been something that was interesting to uh, bring in. And maybe that when we go back to Ixalan, because there, there might be a, 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 f- a friction of the throne, they bring that in. But that idea of conquering uncharted land seems very fitting for the pirate um, th- for the pirates uh, to have, you know. And I think, again... I really like the mechanic. I really like the mechanic, and they've done some interesting things on the rares. Um, some people are saying the Dawnglade re- Regents may be a bit too strong, giving all of your permanents hexproof as long as you're the monarch. Maybe it's a bit strong, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'd, I like swinging effects, especially when you're getting up to like seven mana. You like I like swinging effects because in EDH it's fine to have your powerful things at seven mana also draw you cards, also do this because it's EDH. In standard, that's not quite so good. So I can see why they no. might. Have- immediate kickback but this is a completely different format so any any mechanic which is only dependent on you not being attacked or like having damage dealt to you i think is kind of fine you have hexproof as long as you're the monarch yes there are ways to stop people attacking you but that's true even if the monarch wasn't in the sort of game the fact mm-hmm. that it's dependent on people not attacking you in a format where at the start of the game you have three other players who see you play that card and then go oh well, we're all gonna fucking attack you then like yeah no shush it's fine yeah, anything exactly. you could put monarch on any broken effect and it immediately becomes fine because also you're being yeah you're encouraging to draw into your answers yeah it's fine it's good exactly yeah and if it gets super super powerful all that people have to do is start playing more ways to attack with one ones and stuff like that and i think that's probably healthier for the format rather than oh yeah you know, oh god it. forbid people actually swing in with creatures in i know right well, this is what i mean the, obviously the philosophy that the two of us have that already kind of ingrained of where we like to yeah always poke always get if you can't like, use your mana elf to, to, to uh to tap for mana yeah absolutely poke with someone with it mm-hmm. instigate um so yeah i think um they did a very good job of not doing too much of it doing enough of it spreading it out and having powerful effects across uh so you have a look at all the courts i think all the courts are pretty much i'm not gonna say the words auto include but i think they're all very good and worth looking at for your deck if your deck doesn't actively want it fair enough but i think most most decks there's a lot of decks that benefit from this <laughs> I think you're not using the word auto include because you know that I really bulk at the yeah I'm, yeah I'm also, again like the, the effects aren't quite are somewhat niche enough that it's okay they're not like so broad that it's like well that's just stupid not to play it but they all do something that really encourages you which is good because again the more monarchy we get into this game um, and into our format I think is for the better I also think that's a general design philosophy across the whole thing I know we're looking at specific examples of, of kind of cycles that we like or whatever else but I think everything that they're trying to do in this set Aside from a couple of the chase rare cards, like yes, they do have mana drain. Yes, they had the the jeweled lotus, whatever else. But for kind of broad philosophies, I think that's what they're trying to do. They're not trying to make any one archetype overwhelmingly strong. What they're trying to do is they're trying to give subversive ways for cards to do certain things. It's kind of why this isn't really a mechanic for this set, but it's definitely the choice they've made is that they've made pirates the uh, blue red. Uh, creatures for the set mm. now pirates people like the pirates people kind of thought they were maybe underpowered in the Ixalan blocks which is where yeah. they predominantly were yeah, uh, and then <laughs> not anymore and then obviously Kaladesh had some pirates as well because they were going to be in the same standard meta and they've printed a couple over the years which aren't actually 
Ixalani pirates, but have yeah, been like, like pirates from for example. Glenn Horn Buccaneer, um, what's the other one? Dockside Extortionist, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have been kind of printing in little bits here and there, like the how they did with ninjas. But ninjas, they went in hard with Modern Horizons, and this they've gone in very hard with pirates. There were two yeah. pirate legendaries, for example, um, on in the dual color legendaries, and I think they're not trying to make pirates op what they're trying to do is give people the tools that if they want to build certain decks they can and that's what each each one of these cards are none of these cards are auto includes i don't think or at least they shouldn't be considered auto includes because they're not what they are are tools for people to build the decks that they want um, which is what commander should be about right and you and you can also throw them all together in the same deck if you happen to open a box of this then cool fair enough you can suddenly have a pretty dope pirate deck but then you also need to go back and then look back through other sets to go okay so other things do i want to add to this and then you find beckett bryce you go oh do i want to make it black you know that's the that's the kind of the thought process that i like with this so yeah you have um not only a couple of dual legends you also have the partner pirate legends as well so i think Mm -hmm. yeah there's a a lot of really good options for for um a a highly lauded um, creature type that didn't necessarily, as you say, have enough support, and they were able to barrel a load of it into it. Conversely, the other creature type, weirdly enough, is is elves, which you would think has had loads of support, but they did something even more interesting with it. They did a little bit of, because we're likely not to go back to Lorwyn, I think this is probably why they did this as well, a bit of Golgari elves. Specifically, yep. the same kind of idea of the eye blights that you had from Lorwyn, this, this idea of whenever your, whenever your elves die, um, an effect happens, you know, instead of it being just mana um, and, and, and gain life and create mana, um, so I just said mana twice, because that's basically all elves do. <laughs> so, but yeah, I like this idea of when they now start looking at death um, death effects and you can start then looking at, oh, well, there's actually quite a couple of diff- different elf um, Golgari Elf Legends or say a Jund Elf Legend you're like oh okay now suddenly and it's creating interesting design space for things that haven't had the opportunity to go necessarily that deep I think Elves it's quite nice to see them go well yeah let's let's push them in a new direction that we weren't expecting and then with, with Pirates they go well let's lift them into actually being a nice playable archetype yeah 100% Cool. Um, my first cycle of cards that I'm going to talk about is the quote-unquote familiars cycle. Um, I think all of my design philosophies are going to be based around the legendary creatures because I'm a sucker for legendary creatures being a commander player, um, and this is the set for that. Um, so the familiar cycle is a cycle of five uncommon partner commanders that all have familiar in the name. Uh, just to give a very quick rundown, so you've got Keleth, Sunmain familiar, is a white horse uh, which puts 1-1 counters on your commander when it attacks uh, so the idea is that you have these familiars in your command zone, you play your other commander then these familiars, once you play them, give some sort of buff to either itself or the other commander that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, Kedis, Emberclaw Familiar, is a red lizard which uh, deals damage to each opponent whenever your uh, commander does combat damage to an opponent. Falthis, Shadow Cat Familiar. Uh, commanders you have uh, control have Menace and Death Touch. That's a black cat. Uh, Essior, Ward Wing Familiar, which is a very cute rabbit bird looking motherfucker. Right? Uh, I think this might yeah. be one of our first at, at Strixhaven, you know, buddy. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's like an owl with like these big sort of uh, lynxy ears. Yeah, or super ears, cute. Um, is a blue bird and spells your opponent's cast that target one or more commanders you control costs three more to cast. Uh, and Anara, Wolvid Familiar, is a wolf beast, green wolf beast. Uh, as long as it's your turn, commanders you control have indestructible. Nice and simple. And the reason I really like this as a design philosophy is because it it opens up such a breadth and depth to the partner commanders that wasn't there before. So one of the big problems with partner commanders from the pre-cons uh i'm gonna say 2016 i changed the year every time i mention these commanders that i thought they came out um i'm pretty sure it's it was either 2016 or a year somewhere around it uh, <laughs> so the big problem with these commanders is that 
you had ones that were maybe yeah, not quite as powerful. Right 2016, right. thank you. Yeah. Um, you had ones that were maybe not quite as powerful, and you had ones that were incredibly powerful. But no matter mm-hmm. what you did, if you had them, two of them in your command zone, pretty much whatever combination you went, unless you went with two particularly underpowered ones, they were just broken. And the ones especially that were really good, both of them, like your Timners, your... Uh, your Thracios and your who's the goblin? I'm blanking. And Vile Smasher. Yeah. Vile Smasher. So yeah, those are like the big three, which I think people think about. And then obviously there are lots of other ones that are very powerful. If you had any combinations of those ones with other things, I mean you've got a, a Timner and um Bruce Tal deck. Yeah. Um which it's, it's not obnoxious. I'm not gonna say it's obnoxious, but it's definitely very powerful because they're two very powerful commanders. I specifically had a Boris deck that I was like, well, how do I make Boris viable and playable? Well, you add Timner, who allows you to draw three cards a turn for basically yeah. three. I'm like, oh, well, well, then maybe that's the problem. Obviously, I'm trying to play Timner fair, but what I'm doing is instead I'm just playing Bruce Tell unfairly. So, yeah, yeah exactly. for sure. And like, you get to add your colors in, especially with the mm-hmm. two color ones. And right. like, you can have four, four color decks, three color decks that are doing absolutely everything all the time and have access to all this power. And that's what people kind of were a bit. Uh, about them then they did like the partner commanders with will and rowan and obviously uh you know being planeswalkers they're a lot slower even though they're quite powerful and so that's why people were very worried coming into commander legends knowing that partner was going to be a big deal Mm. but instead of leveling the playing field by creating partners that were way op to combat like the old guard of partner commanders which they are still reprinting that whole cycle of old um partner commanders as promos yeah exactly in the edge falling, as opposed to doing that or creating ones that did huge splashy effects that were new, I think what they've done is they've opted to make most of the partner commanders kind of mid-level commanders. You probably wouldn't pay, play them on their own, but as a pair, they will do quite nice things, which I think is very good design philosophy. But these familiar commanders, I think they went even further the other way of where these are cards that not only would you not play them in the command zone but they would be you would never really consider them at all to be a commander ever like they would only ever be in your 99 but because they put partner on them they just give that extra edge to whatever other commander you put them on Mm -hmm. and i love that because it's not just you going well can you just give your broken commander hexproof or indestructible or oh okay so every time bruce attacks it gets a 1-1 counter now that's a bit busted it's you know it's just giving your commanders that little extra push to sort of go i want to play a thrasios deck but i don't want to waste the partner mechanic now if i play a thrasios deck who's arguably the most powerful partner commander and i play it with anything else it's just going to be horrendously busted. So you have these familiar partners. You put, say, put Thrasios with um, Falthis, Shadow Cat Familiar. Suddenly mm-hmm. Thrasios has Menace and Death Touch. Not broken, but can still be quite relevant. And suddenly he's in Sultai Colors. And it just opens up this whole thing. No one's going to have a go at you for playing a Timna deck with Anara, Wolvid Familiar. You know, like it's, mm-hmm. I just think it's such a clever notion that it it not only creates new design space and new kind of power levels across the commanders that are just within its own set, it also allows players to maybe take the stigma and take the oppression off of old partners. And I just, I love that. And they're all just, they're all very relevant. Who doesn't want to make their commander indestructible, right? Who doesn't want to make their commander harder to target? Who doesn't want to have their aggressive commander suddenly have menace and death touch? Mm. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Of course, it's worth saying that they these obviously only work with other partners. Um which I think for these ones is actually a bit of a shame because could you imagine like giving Partner some with, like, with anything? Yeah, that's that. That would be the next thing of wait. This card can be 
um, a partner to any other commander, but it'd have to have such a marginal effect. I, think, I mean, obviously, yeah. You could, how could you possibly yeah. test for it? I think. So I think the the, the argument against the that say specifically the Thrasios Falthus album um, album um, um, argument is that. Um, if you're not using the other legendary for the, for what it does at that point, aren't you just going okay? Well, let's take Thrasios, but I also need I also need these black cards to kind of make Thrasios a little bit more broken. There I is that, that element. There is, a, there is a potential of that, and also um, the initial point you said of where like, well, they haven't printed anything that breaks them. Um, that, that they haven't printed anything to be equally broken because technically speaking, every single partner they print automatically adds that text to any other partner card potentially. Yes, it does. So that's an interesting. I mean, I mean, what I mean is to say is that it's good because what they've done is they've done effects that are that aren't obnoxious enough to go well we're adding not only does Thrasios now draw your entire deck it also does this as on top of it they've made they've done a good job of making sure that didn't happen which considering how many partners they've printed with so many interesting effects yes there are obviously going to be some quite busted combinations um but I think it's they've done a very good job of making sure that it doesn't it's not immediately obnoxious and it doesn't you know push the envelope too far i think they've brought the envelope down a little bit and the old partners are still the better partners in terms of adding effects to these these partners rather than these partners adding even more broken effects to partners who are already good sure i know but i think and i agree with all that and i think you are right that you know having just being able to add a color to a lot of these commanders does inherently make them more busted but i also i do sort of think that the intention of a lot of commanders <laughs> I think the the intention of a lot of commander players just to play pub stomping decks is not only overstated by the larger commander and magic playing community it's also it's just not true. I think mm. for a lot of people they play their powerful decks because they have the cards and they want to do the splashy effects but really if you gave them the option of saying you can have this pairing and people will have a better time if you have Thrasios and Keleth Sunmare familiar people mm. will have a better time if you play that and you can still build a powerful deck than if you play Thrasios and Vile Smasher, right? And that deck is absurdly powerful. You're going to win every game. I genuinely, honestly, and this might be naive, but I genuinely, honestly believe that 90% of all Commander players will go, oh, well, let's do the fun thing that's still relatively powerful. And this gives that option. Yeah, and it and as like I know this is the design sort of mechanics episode, and I, this is maybe a bit more sort of wishy washy with my kind of like beliefs <laughs> in the good like the goodness of commander players. But I think this was a definite choice by the the design team for this set to not only not break everything wide open again by doing stupid partner commanders, but to actively say the mechanic isn't broken if you're not playing it in a broken way. Yeah, if you're not and also command, yeah, and also commander is the format of doing silly stuff and doing busted stuff. So yes, partners are inherently broken and inherently mm. a bit more powerful than maybe they should be. But I just yeah, I just feel that these this cycle is kind of the full encapsulation of what they were trying to do with the partners this year. Yeah, and I really like it. I think that's, I, I agree entirely. I think it's little things like I'm I was I'm looking at um, revamping um, a Boris uh, equipment deck that I have. It's quite nice to have Prava of the Steel Legion, which is basically a token generator, and then also say having Rogra, a uh, Rograk, who's like a um, first strike menace trampler for zero mana, zero one. It's good to have <laughs> yeah. a target for your equipment, but also that when if he was to die, I mean, obviously you can pay him pretty cheaply back again. But you've also then got your token creator and your commander as well. It's like what what effect? Like, I want to build a deck that does this, and now you've got all these different. It's like, well, what partners allow facilitate a guaranteed option of that in the command zone you know and any guaranteed extra bodies potentially so cool let's we can let's have the, the token generator but also maybe i just need that efficient body that can wear the equipment well well cool i've got that option as well and that's just one example you know you can do mm. little, you can, 
things like oh well, i've got i need a i need a way to like you know expand my draw like say if you are just playing thrasios by himself um just to be like you know a normal weird civic player then add the sphinx to it so you you, you add a little bit of extra draw power into it and without putting it over the top because it's a six mana you know drop that fair enough that's not too much of an issue um or say for example you say with something like Faustus, like okay how do i make my um my voltron commander just that little bit more a little yep. bit spicy. Well, now I've got the option to add medicine death touch on the top of it. So yeah, I think yeah, yeah as you say it's this it's this idea of it's like you get to this feels much more like you get to pick and choose in a fun fashion rather than going oh which which horrendously broken thing do I want to do? Oops, I guess that one. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and just to, just to cap off this cycle because I yeah that's that I completely agree. Just to cap off my thoughts on this familiar cycle, just the design of them in a flavor perspective as well is really cool because they are all creatures which you could put with any other partner commander, and it would make sense that they would have them just kind of kicking around. Like sometimes you kind of go, well, why would that goblin be friends with that merfolk? Now it's well, why wouldn't that merfolk want a little lizard pal sort of sitting on a rock? Right. And he's like, or, or like you know, if you play Cigar Condo of uh, Jura, who's the Selesnia one from the give him the horse, give him the horse, right? You've exactly. Won. There you go. Yeah. You've won. You've yeah, won magic. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the familiar cycle, uh, and yeah, I really enjoy it. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, in a similar fashion, um, I'm going to stick with this idea of uh, talking about um, commanders um, and looking at um, the will cycle. Um, now, the will cycle kind of is what I initially looked at in terms of um, commander-specific mechanics outside of just, you know, being your commander. Um, speaking of which, like the, the, the reason I bring it up immediately after the familiar cycles, I have that listed down, is cards obviously that offer something to your commanders while they're in play. Um, the reason I like this is um, the will cycle, I feel like, is a fixed uh, version of like the defecting SWAT fish guardianship. Um, incre- oh, it's not incredible maneuver, flawless maneuver. The one that the flawless white one that gives yeah, exactly that that yeah. cycle of it's free if you control your commander. Now that mm-hmm. automatically that word, <laughs> that word free is very obviously we we, we a time and time again wizards proves that they cannot they cannot get away with it because there's no real way to do it. I uh, I played obscuring haze in a game once, which is the green fog one. Yeah, and that's objectively the worst one. The fact that I played it for free at instant speed was. Backbreaking. Absolutely I know you're like, you didn't expect that. It's like, well, no, of course. How am I supposed to expect it? We're not playing Legacy. I don't yeah. expect Force of Will turn one. You bastard, go away. What's going on? You've already got, <laughs> you've already got Force of Negation. How dare you? How dare your third one? So what? To back up and, and get off my my rage horse. Um, this is the reason why I like the Will Cycle is because they are uh, essentially cards that do one of two things. And then if you control um, a commander, you do both of them instead, um, which is quite powerful. And the reason I like them is because they do interesting things um, on both options, but they also in- encourage people instead of being able to go, oh, I just drop whatever commander out and then I've always got it. You know, it was always free. Never, never mm. didn't have it. Instead, you've got to keep the matter open. You've got but you've got the option of of give a give a give a diverse effect like up the rate and up the mana cost you know don't make don't make a fine ability like a okay ability and make it free make a kind of pretty broken ability and then charge mana for it but then if you happen to meet a certain requirement supercharge it you know make the make the floor a reasonable level and then sky's the limit don't really care don't make the floor pretty 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 fucking good oh sorry don't make, make don't make yeah don't make, yeah don't make the floor pretty fucking good and then the ceiling oh okay just a little bit better you know, mm. and I feel like this is well. This again, this design design philosophy is very clever for because a Chroma's will is not only just there to be like, oh, cheese protect my protect the board against the board wipe. And if you're being very clever, cheese protect against the board wipe that I've played myself. You have an option. Um, so specifically, a Chroma's will is three and a white for an instant. You choose one, and if you control a commander, you 
um, if you control a commander as you cast the spell, not as it resolves, which is interesting. Um, you know, if people try and kill your commander in response, this still does the thing, which promotes this idea of playing your commander and having your commander in play and, and um, playing around that idea of you're guaranteed to get an effect once you have your commander in play. Your two options are either creatures you control gain flying, vigilance, and double strike until end of turn, a nice aggressive ability, or creatures you control gain lifelink, indestructible, and protection from all colors until end of turn, a nice defensive ability. Now, if you control your commander, you get both of those effects. Now, getting flying, vigilance, double strike, indestructible, protection from everything, and lifelink is obviously like pretty much white overrun. It's like a crazy memorial <laughs> on a stick. Um, but yeah. the fact that you can use this defensively to get this idea of like saying, um, for example, it's a really nice Sunforger um, silver bullet. So I normally play things like uh, Boris Charm because it has functionality, even though I never, I don't think I ever use the double strike or the four damage. Um, but you've got Boris Charm and you've got something, say, like Eerie Interlude, ways to protect your board. Now, this is not only a way to protect your board uh, um, re uh, reactively, but it's also proactively a way to give your board a, a jolly big boost. And I like this idea of if you're playing your commander out, um, especially in white, realistically, you're probably going to want to be some amount of aggressive. So it plays towards that theme quite nicely. And the main reason why I like these Commanders Matters cards in the same way that I like the monarchy um, um, ideology is that it's a, it, you build your decks around your commander, right? I mean, I, I'm I'm, speci I'm specifically really bad at this of where I tend to put 80% of my deck into my commanders out. You know, 20% of it's, oh, this deck can function without it anyway. And don't get me wrong, like the rest of the deck, won't, it won't fail without the commander. But I like specifically yeah. funneling most of my deck through my commander, through its abilities. It will do a thing, but when the commander's out, holy crap, the thing gets, you know, tripled, quadrupled, you know, and, and it starts going off to the races. And I like this idea of, this is what the format's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about choosing a character, choosing a style of play, putting that in, in into play, and then building everything else kind of around it. And this promotes that idea quite, quite fiercely. Uh, they do it in a way that doesn't feel broken as i say all the fierce guardianship and everything it doesn't just feel free in terms of playing it feels free for including your deck you know it doesn't necessarily matter whereas i feel like these really promote this idea of having your commander out in play like there's another few a few other cards in the set that do this like hellkite courser for example four red red for a six five flying dragon when it enters the battlefield you may essentially um cheat uh, your com one of your com uh, commander um, interplay, give it haste, and then you put, put it back into the command zone at end of turn. Like sneak attack for your commander. I like this mm -hmm. idea. They're kind of working ways to make your commanders more relevant, and then when they're in play, do do more things and, and different ways to kind of get things out. Like slash the ranks, for example, is um, um, a really good card because it uh, destroys all creatures that aren't commanders. So if other players aren't leaning on their commanders and they're playing decks that basically just do whatever they want to do and dirt along without having to ever cast them, well, they get a little bit punished. Whereas you, yeah. like, you know, like Voltron strategy, for example, which doesn't necessarily get as much support these days because it is a little bit narrow and it's a very specific um, um, archetype and maybe commander damage isn't necessarily people, what people like. But again, how many times do you see people die to commander damage? Don't we need that kind of diversity in the format? I think so. Mm -hmm. I I agree. I hundred percent agree. Um, yeah, I really like them as well, and I I think again they are, as you say, they're balanced enough that they can blow out games because they're big splashy spells. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to do that with them, and this mm -hmm. is what we like in magic in EDH especially, but we like in magic in general is we like modality of cards. People forget like something like um. What's it called? Cyclonic Rift. <laughs> What's it mm. called? Like I forgot what that card is called. <laughs> um, oh yeah, that, that's a played card. That, that niche, that niche thing that no one yeah ever plays. <laughs> it, its board wipe effect is the overload cost, but mm. you can just use it as targeted removal. That's... Now I wonder if that card was used more often as targeted removal than a board wipe. Whether it'd have the same kind of stigma, but because obviously it's quite easy to get to that board wipe effect, it's yeah. the card that it is. 
I feel like people hate it even more when they use it as a single target. When it's like the big one, everyone's like, okay, fair. when you single target someone for two mana on a site crypt, it feels like it feels even more cheap. It's like you 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 wasted the board wipe and you targeted me. You, yeah, you just use it as an unsummon. How I mean, dare I, have you? Done, I have done that before, and I do actually yeah. have to say that it didn't reduce any of the table salt. Like incredible. No, um, no tell I, it's <laughs> I, I like these cards, and I like. I think again, like the previous cycle that you spoke about, this philosophy isn't just with the will cycle, it is with a lot of the cards in this set where they've gone if the more the more you give, the more you get. But also you don't mm. have to necessarily go all in all the time. You can be a bit more nuanced. And I think the balance between mm. nuance and blowout in this set is very good. And um yeah, again it continues yeah. to be very impressive. And the other aspect we didn't even talk about is the fact that flavor-wise, having I mean, I'm a big fan of signature spells. Um, it's one of the things I think War of the Spark did very well is having all these different planeswalkers and to give them more gravity, they gave each of them a signature spell. The fact that it is a Chroma's will, Kamal, Kamal's mm. will, Jessica's will, Sat's will, um, and um, Sakashima's will is really cool because it gives these characters a bit more gravity and it provides provide them a little bit more flavor because we get to see what their spells and what their effects would do within the game as well, which I don't know, they chose a very five very good characters for that as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah for sure i mean this is something we'll touch on our lore episodes the the characters they've chosen to be in this set alongside some of the newer ones um or some of the ones that people think are new but actually are, are established characters yeah uh, right yeah yeah, that shows that shows deep cuts. If you've got half of the um, or, um half of your um, audience is going, oh yes, amazing, and the other half's going, oh wait, what, 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 what is it? Yeah, what? That's perfect because you're 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 playing homage to a part of the to, to part of your audience and making the other half of the audience investigate, you know, engage further. So, yeah, very mm. good. Yeah, really cool, really cool. Um, all right, the next thing that I'm going to be talking about is the kind of the general idea of some of the newer things they're doing with the commanders in terms of their abilities. I mean, this I mean that sounds very broad. That's not like me picking any one subject. That is just the set, right? But I think um, <laughs> I think in general what they're doing with the commanders of this set is so fresh and new that even the ones which are either not very good or incredibly OP, people are more just interested in what they're doing as cards. And what I mean by that is, is that there are a lot of legendaries in this set which do things that are very recognisable. Like you have your Cascade commanders. We've seen Cascade on other um, legendaries before. We mm. see like graveyard recursion effects. We've seen graveyard recursion on effects on other legendaries before, and so on and so on and so on. Um, but I, I, I'm struggling to find, and I'm looking at the card gallery now, I'm struggling to find any one commander which I think, oh, isn't that just that, but like with a tiny little twist. Generally speaking, they are very much unique in their identity. I think the only one which I personally, because obviously other people might have other opinions on this, but the only one I personally kind of look at and go, oh, so it's a that thing, but they've changed it to make it not so egregious, is Amareth the Lustrous. I was literally looking that exactly, yeah, yeah. It's basically Tulane Light, yeah. Diet Tulane. And this is something that you've said to me, so I can't necessarily claim it as something I spotted, because it was actually you that initially pointed out to me. And the more I think about it, the more I think, oh, yeah. And then but then in my head, Tulane is just a blue version of Karametra. Do you know what I mean? So it's just kind yeah, of, of uh, which, which mm. they're also reprinting Karametra as a promo in this set, which... They really like reprinting Karametra recently. I don't know why. Um, they did it with Lotus God as well, though. They did it like three back-to-back products of being like, oh, okay, cool. I guess everyone can get hold of one now. That's good. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, when you have it from the beginning, it does feel a little bit like, oh, well, that's less Oh, special. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, so I think a lot of these are really fresh, or either that, or they do things which, yeah, fine, uh, may be recognisable, but they add a new colour in. So like, again, Arcane and Weaver, um, which is a red, white, and a black, so it is Mardu colours, is uh, tap for 
Mardu, so red, white, black. Uh, tap, sacrifice an enchantment, return target enchantment or uh, enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So it's an enchantment matters card in Mardu, mm. which is pretty banging, to be honest. And yes, we've had, like, you know, get stuff back from your graveyard in these colors before, but not necessarily an enchantress. We've had sacrifice, like, a creature to get a creature back before, but not necessarily, like, in these colors. And, you know, it's just, yeah. I think it's really, really cool. Well, even um, the artwork for him is very interesting colours for a Mardu commander. Like it looks just guy back and forth. I mean, everything about it seems it seems like yeah, it seems innovative in a lot of ways. And again, three mana tap, sack one thing to get one thing. That's not egregious, but can it do some broken stuff? Oh buddy, yes. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Um so we have a lot of these commanders that do recognizable things, but maybe push them in a new direction and also push them in new directions which may be make sense for their kind of color identities so that these color identities can start to do things in their own way i mean there is there's an argument to be made for like not all the colors need or should do all the things because this is like the sanctity of the color pie but when we're living in a world where card draw for example is something which the the designers of the game are going okay maybe card draw does need to be in all the colors we just need to make it part of that like we especially need to find a in this format, way. yeah, yeah a flavorful way for those colors to have it. That I think you can start doing that with other things, especially if you're doing multi- like uh, multicolor commanders. You need to be able to say, well, yes, he's a blue mage, but he's also a black mage. So mm-hmm. maybe he can do the black thing in a blue way, and you know all this kind of stuff. But the things that really catch my eye in this set, the stuff that I'm really very excited for, are commanders which do something which either we just haven't seen before in that way on a creature, or maybe are doing things which people have been trying to do for ages and are doing it, but not necessarily in a busted way. And the one card which I'm going to look at as case study is Yorlock, the Scorch Thrash, who is one black, red, uh, green, so he's Jund, for a Viashino Shaman, 4-4 Vigilance. A player losing unspent mana causes that player to lose that much life. Pay one generic, tap, each player adds black, red, green to their mana pool. Mana burn's back, baby. It's the mana burn commander. Holy shit. I know, right? Take that, Omnath. Screw you, Crufix. (laughs) I know. Well, this is it, right? Is that commander, if just right now looking at it as seasoned, Uh, like EDH players and seasoned deck builders, is this commander broken, yes or no? No. 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 Does Does it fill a gap in EDH build and also stop other commanders that could be incredibly broken? Yes. Yes, and isn't that the fucking perfect wheelhouse that we need new commanders being designed by Wizards of the Coast specifically for Commander? Isn't this exactly where we need them to be designing cards? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like yeah. we look at the if you look at the brawl decks, for example, um, yeah. where they had you know like Shrine, slash value, yeah, yeah, Corvold, <laughs> you had Alayla, and then yeah, Gwyn's in there somewhere. Um, to be fair, even Gwyn can be obnoxious. Like she Equip can Zero, be. Yes. Equip zero is an insane amount of value that people underestimate. Turning all of your equip costs into zero mana, as as I experienced from building several equipment decks, is bonkers. So yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like these were, although this this was quote unquote the brawl decks. They were <laughs> commander decks. They were the precursors to what they were going to be making for Commander Legends. And mm-hmm. by the way, I, I do just want to make a note. Um, when they were designing this set, we don't. I don't. I'm going to be a little bit careful about saying, "Oh, well, they finally caught up to the design philosophy," because there have been artists on Twitter who've been saying, "I can finally show this piece off. I painted this two years ago." So. Yeah. It's not a recent thing. I think recent for us is ancient history for us is recent for the design team. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just mm-hmm. the time scales differently. So they probably designed the brawl decks 
four years ago. And then they they went, oh, maybe these are a bit too powerful and started designing Commander Legends. And then by the time we heard about Commander Legends, we were all getting arsy about the Brawl decks. Do you know what I mean? So there's, mm-hmm. there is a massive delay on this stuff. Um, well, Gavin, Gavin's had this delayed for a long time, I think, this, this set in particular. I don't know why it was delayed so often from a... Um... Probably to uh, get it right. Logistic. This is this balancing. I imagine there was a lot of balancing that took place yeah. where they maybe realised, or like, even then, to, I mean, I guess it, it has to be justified and maybe it took a little bit of market research that is Commander worth the format and they did a bit of, oh, let's let's make this product, let's make this product, see how people respond. And even if people respond badly, if they if a lot of people respond, you know a lot of people are buying it, even if everyone's a little mm-hmm. bit pissed off about it. So yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so these these kind of very niche commanders, none of them are so busted that people are like, well, that's obviously just going to break the format, you know. But they are mm-hmm. niche enough that people can start doing things with them and doing things with them that are unexpected. Like, what does a mana burn deck look like? I'm sure people have tried to build ones in the past, mm-hmm. but now it's in jund colors. I think pretty much every mana burn deck anyone's ever built has been Rakdos at least, you know. Yeah, and then you didn't you have, have an like, option really, did you, for the top? Whereas you can do things no. like well, group slug decks, is which this will effectively work towards. Um, will usually be yeah, Rakdos because you play someone like Mogus, you know, or something like that that has an inherent punishment effect already. Then you go down the group slug route. But there are other commanders as well. So another one I'm looking at is uh, Belb, Corrupted Observer, who is someone we're going to talk about, I think, in the lore episode quite a bit. Because she is she's one that I mean, if you don't know who Belb is, you will do after next week. And if not, if you don't want to wait, go listen to uh, look it up now. Um but uh their abilities, she's a Golgari, so she's black green for a two two zombie elf, um Phyrexian zombie elf as well. Um at the beginning of each player's post combat main phase, that player adds Generic, generic for each of your opponents who lost life this turn. So, again, this is something that gives you mana, like for some kind of other incidental effect. So, uh, Belb and Yorluk, seemingly completely different things what they're doing, but they are going to synergize together. But it's also, if you notice in that wording as well, of Belb, and this is something else I really love about the design of some of these more niche commanders, the wording is, and I actually had to confirm this with a couple of people on Twitter, uh, at the beginning of each player's post-combat main phase, that player adds generic generic for each of your opponents who mm. lost life this turn. So if one of my p- opponents plays a shock land and shocks themselves for two mm-hmm. like points of damage, they then get the generic mana yeah. from they, Belb because they this are is a very weirdly symmetrical. This is as sluggy as it gets of where like you 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 want to benefit from it as well, but everyone else will also kind of can also take add a degree of advantage of it because obviously slugging usually yeah okay one person's controlling it but you can kind of gang up on people to kind of force them yeah, you know, it, yeah. it, it works that way but it's, yeah. it's it's this political thing of going you're this isn't just like i'm having the value train because i've built this machine where i'm just going to play solitaire for five minutes and you're all going to watch mm. me this is about directly interacting with your opponents your lock's the same players uh, losing unspent mana causes them to lose that much life they have to do the thing to like construct their own demise you can help them along by giving them mana but Mm -hmm. it's about interaction let's look at another one we have uh where is she uh obeka brute chronologist who's the yeah one blue black red for an ogre wizard three four tap the player whose turn it is may end the turn the player whose turn it is may end the turn so that you're not forcing them to do it you're not stopping anyone else from playing their game. What you're doing is is you're giving that player the opportunity just to stop. 
Yeah. What is you, this you, card? Yeah, it basically nullifies anyone else's counter spell again on anyone else's turn. If they, if that, if you want to be nice, you can be. Yeah, it's a Grixis commander that allows you to go. Hey, yeah, no, you can keep that. Do you want? Do you want to end the turn? I mean, you might not get to play anything else afterwards, but you get to resolve your thing. Like that's that's already a conversation that's amazing. I also like the idea in the artwork because she seems to be punching through like almost like glass. I like the idea of imagine like Teferi's on the other side of this doing his little time magic. And she's just like, no, fuck you, mate. Just like suck mm-hmm. a punch at him in the face through all his timey wimey nonsense. Which I think a lot of people need that catharsis with uh, with the way that this recent Teferi cards have been printed anyway. So, but I think philosophically, Abeka and Yurlok are actually very close to each other, and I think this yeah. is the same again for all of these Nishi commanders, where it's about other players interacting with uh, you and decisions well. you make. The, the, t- the tap one, for example, yeah, does the same idea. Symmetrical effect that can be taken advantage of by you, but also your opponent if they're clever or if they're political, or whatever. Can you can play, you know, effectively with them as well. It doesn't have to be the dick exactly but this is i think all of these again it's like how we said like at the very start of this little conversation you have your omnath players you have your crew flicks players that will generate their infinite mana and then use your turn to go off and do things especially if they're in simic colors you know with things like seedborn muse and whatever untapping their stuff or wilderness reclamation so imagine if you're a combo player you sit down at a commander table and you see someone who's got a becca and your luck immediately you're sat there not going, oh, well, it's okay, I'm just going to combo out as fast as possible. Because say if you do your dramatic scepter combo and you make your infinite mana, and then as soon as you go to activate it with all your mana, someone just, you know, cross and grips your scepter. Well, now you're sat there with, with infinite, infinite, like, mana, you're going to die as soon as your turn ends. And mm-hmm. someone else has a Becca, you know, you go to do infinite stuff on someone else's turn, the Becca player goes, do you just want to take all their stuff off the stack? There you go. And yeah. these aren't broken effects. These aren't effects which will, you know, oppress other people. These are effects to keep people in check and having weird, fun interactions. And just up and down, I think, I mean, the last one I'm going to talk about is Blim, comedic genius, who is a two generic black red for an imp, 4-3, flying. When Blim, comedic genius, deals combat damage to a player, that player gains control of target permanent you control. Then each player loses life and discards cards equal to the number of permanents they control but don't own. <laughs> <laughs> here, have this lovely. Yeah, here, here, here's an egg in this trying time. <laughs> no, but the, the same idea of like, yeah, here, have my crappy little token. Yeah, also discard a card and lose a life, please. Thank you. Yeah, it's like yeah. anti-zedro. It's great. I like it. It's also, like an anti-zedro. You gave a legendary imp a very impish ability, and you made it playable and interesting. Like you're taking all the bloody boxes, wizards. I don't know what I've, I've run out of pencil, but it's the you have like, to interact box. with other people. Mm-hmm. There, I, I personally have nothing against combos or combo players. The thing that I don't like about having only those kinds of decks, or like lock decks, some lock decks, is that there's no interaction. It's Mm. someone who sits there with their 100 cards, plays out on curve, or ahead of curve if they ramp, and goes, okay, so I've won, and they look at the other three players who have been like, you know, path to exiling or attacking each other, and playing the game with each other. Mm. And that person sits there and goes, "Um, this thing I win. And you go, okay, cool, that's fine. That's some people's philosophy. But now we have cards which forces that player to have to make decisions they didn't have to make before. Mm -hmm. So now that player can still try and do that thing. They can still try and do the combo. They can still try and win the game without very much interaction at all. But now they have to understand that people will try and fuck up their shit and they'll do it in ways which they won't see coming. And Mm -hmm. I think that is a perfect place and a perfect balance for this commander format. 
And this, for me, this is the proof in the pudding that we still have to play this set. So anything I'm saying now in about a month's time may be wrong. But at the moment, it seems like the proof is in the pudding where they haven't done a Modern Horizons. They haven't made cards specifically for a format that have then ruined the format. They have made cards for a format with the format very much in mind and the delicate balance of the game still Mm. intact, as far as I can see. Well, yeah, that reads very obviously when you have a bunch, kind of like with Dominaria, where they did um, leg- legendaries out the wazoo, once in, one in every pack, they had to do some uncommon legends. They did the same thing here, if they've done a slew of uncommon legends that don't have inherently weaker abilities. I mean, unless they might not be as, as ostensibly powerful, but um, they still do interesting, cool things to allow your budget brewers um, to be able to still play and have some diversity doing cool, interesting things. Like Thanos, for example, is an uncommon that whenever you get you get a number of um, white spirits equal to the number of tokens you created. It's like, cool, the token, you can have to make a pauper token deck. I mean, obviously, people that play pauper EDH are having a field day because they've got a load of amazing new options to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as you say, this idea of where they haven't seemed to have lost the, the philosophy of keeping things interesting and diverse um outside of 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 counting power into that equation um so yeah i think they did a very very good job um filling some yeah. niche um and also giving some extra support to um to, to areas that needed it without it pushing it completely over the top which is a really hard delicate balance i think i think a really good sort of test me personally just looking at this set before we move on is that if we were to crack open a box of this and draft it as it's meant to be drafted, or maybe even do a sealed. So I know a few of us at RLGS are thinking of doing spell table sealed commander decks with this, mm. um, because we can't draft it. There is not a single legendary in this set, which if I pulled, I wouldn't be excited to try and build something out of in the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's over 70 legendaries in this set. That's yeah, a fucking... That's, that's an amazing achievement. That's a feat, right? Um, yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah. So there we are. All right, what have you got for your third kind of philosophy that you want to talk about? Uh, my last one is kind of looking um, at the elephant in the room, and that's that um, it got kind of spoken about uh, by a fair few people um, that White was going to get some much-needed support this set. Um, and it's was, it's an interesting conversation. I think I don't think they necessarily have... There's no imbalance. I think we've, we've beaten that, um, that horse to death um, already this episode. We don't feel there's any particular imbalance within the set whatsoever. I think all the colours do something interesting and obviously playing will have to figure out if there is you know a clear best colour to be playing. Um, but realistically, I don't think there's any massive disparity. What is interesting is there is this um, quote-unquote equaliser cycle um, of cards. Um, and the main reason why this uh, comes about is because they did get a really good uh, cards... Um, white this being um, in um oh one second da, da, da. Some, somehow i should scroll right down to the bottom there's obviously a crap load of cards in the set keeper of the accord um it's a three and a white three four human soldier at the beginning of each opponent's end step if that player controls more creatures than you create a one one white soldier creature token at the beginning of each opponent's end step if that player controls more lands than you you may search your library for a basic planes card put it onto the battlefield tapped and then shuffle your library um now this card obviously encapsulates everything similar to the um the three mana Oracle of Moldiah kind of variant from um, the latest commander set um, of sure. being of everyone shouting and screaming that white needs help. Um, okay. It's not necessarily got card advantage on this card, um, but it does obviously have ramp um, e- equalization. And this idea of being like when your opponent does something, you do something to kind of keep up with them. Um, the reason I say equalizer cycles because a few other cards in the set that do similar ideas of where they seem to balance what your opponent's doing if they get too far ahead or are doing something obnoxious. Hole breach, for example, two and a blue for a three-two flash merfolk pirate. If an opponent would draw a card, except for the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, instead you create a treasure token. Uh, as a Zyrus mm. player, this is this is the one card in the set where I'm like, 
oh, I wish that uh, didn't exist. But yeah, right. That's just because I play Zyrus and it's a wheel deck. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, and then there's obviously, um, I think we got it wrong earlier. It's Opposition Agent, not Agent of Opposition. Um, oh, two sure. in a black uh, for a human rogue 3 2 flash. You, um, you control your opponents while they're searching their libraries. While an opponent is searching their library, they exile each card they find. You may play those cards for as long as they remain exiled, and you may spend any mana as you may spend mana as if it was any mana of any color to cast them. Yeah. Now, there is also two other ones. I say equalizer cycle with air quotes because this doesn't really necessarily carry true to the other two colors. Uh, you had the green root weave, root weaver druid, which is two and a green for a two one. When enter the battlefield, each opponent may search their library for up to three basic land cards. They each put one of those cards onto the battlefield tapped under your control, and the rest onto the battlefield tapped under their control. Then each player who searched their library this way shuffles it. I, the idea being that everyone gets to ramp twice, except for you get to ramp, get ramped three times. And it's their choice of the land that they get. They give you. Um, key thing being basic lands. So you don't. You don't necessarily just allow people to go. Hey, Urbuk and Cabal coffers, which would have been a yeah. horrendous oversight. Um, and then the red one. And this is again where the, it kind of falls falls down a little bit because uh, Ember Wild Captain is as close as we've got to an approximation. Three and a red for a four-two Jin Pirate, which already amazing. Um, I know you're talking <laughs> about this in a second anyway, but um, when it ends the battlefield, you become the monarch. Okay, already interesting, quite powerful. Whenever an opponent attacks you while you're the monarch, Emberwild Captain does damage to that player equal to the number of cards in their hand. So that's, I mean, I think that's probably the weakest in terms of this equalizer cycle of this idea of where your opponent does something, you do something. The reason I bring it up um, under this banner of is white getting the support that it needs is because a lot of people are arguing the case that um, both whole breacher and opposition agent are effectively white abilities. And these are the kinds of abilities not only especially whole breaches because we've just seen it recently in smothering ties this idea of when your opponent draws you get treasure this taxation effect and i think it's an interesting conversation about um flavor philosophy and design philosophy because everything about whole breaches screams to me pirate everything about it i look at i'm like yeah it's a blue card from a from a flavor point of view mechanically like from the melvin side if i was to read that i'm like um yeah if you change the name and the, and the creature typing to say i don't know like a so a, a, a jailer or something like that like yeah okay it's definitely a, a white effect but everything about the flavor still feels very blue and it's funny that every time you see anything that white could do that other colors do that uh, there is almost this harken of being like well why wasn't this a white card like why is an opposition opposition angel it's like it's very similar to even mind sensor you know or leon and arbiter why isn't it a white card i'm like well other colors can do what white does as well. You could, Just because white's trying to do what other colors do as part of its color pie in, in a very white way doesn't mean that other colors can't do things that white do in their own kind of color philosophy way. And I think it's an interesting conversation, especially it's easy to get up in arms about it and get angry about it because white naturally has a lot of things holding it back um, and has a lot of things that, you know, it's... I don't, I don't know at what point is it become a meme of where they printed so much. Imagine getting to a point of where they printed so much white cards and everyone's still complaining and you look at it and you go, I think white might be the best color in magic. Um, sure. And I, and I think there was a point, especially in standard, where white was actually doing a little bit of everything. It had time. It had Bane Slayer Agent, Oblivion. It had everything you could possibly want. Like Bane Slayer Agent being like your big um, stompy card at the top end. That's a green effect, you know. And things like, um, say, Stoneform Mystic, Tutoring, that kind of... Like it, had, it basically had the, everything. And obviously Commander might not have the same... Um, opinion um, it might not have the same view as say a two-year period of standard but it does feel like it's going to get to that point of where we might have to overcompensate even if i do agree there are certain effects that might feel more white not everything can be white just to make white more powerful you know mm. and i'm saying that i think this this play pattern of your opponent getting punished for doing something is something that i really like in commander anyway spreading it across all colors like say with monarch is more healthy in my opinion sure i think the I agree with you, and I agree that because um, we've been saying in this very episode that colors should be able to do a lot of things just in their own flavorful way that's relevant to the color pie. I think though, if you're part of a a set of like colors, for example, in in Magic, which need 
more support. So we say like red and white in Commander is classically the two colours that maybe need more support to do things. I think it is a little bit galling, and I can see why people who are fans of the white and colour pie in, in Magic are saying that Hole Breacher and Opposition Agent are maybe taking white stuff away from them. Because it's a little bit galling that those effects, which can be seen as being parallel to white abilities, are done so pushed and yeah. so well, that's the I word, think that's the problem. It? It's not that's just they're, the doing problem. It, they're doing it better. They're doing it better. I, yeah, think, I think that's Cold what Breach the issue is. Are better than uh, the uh, the um, uh, forgot his name again. Good. See, that's that's the thing. I remember Whole Breach and I remember Opposition Angel. Do I remember the name of Keeper of the Accord? No. That's demonstrative of the problem, right? Even though I look at yeah. Keeper of the Accord, I'm like, that's a fuckload of value. Yeah, so like, I agree with you. Right. I thought, yeah, but, yeah, exactly. I do. I do think that maybe people are maybe being a little bit harsh against these cards in terms of well, they should have been white cards. It's like, well, no, you can see them as being white cards, but for this set in the bubble of this set, mm. Hole Breacher needs to be a pirate. In the bubble of this set, Opposition Agent is the card that needs to be done. I think Wizards maybe just maybe just to avoid this kind of imbalancing in the game, mm. maybe could have just not printed those cards. Yeah. Right, and just I think done something else. So polarizing. I'm, I'm not. It's one of these things. Like, if there's ever a card that's not like ridiculously obnoxious, like say Yorgmoth's Will or um, Necroprogence, put it in black because it's easier, or put it in blue because people already hate on those colors anyway. What's a little bit more hate, you know? Whereas if you put mm. those colors in white, not only does it then have like, well, I mean, it's not. It's, it's, it's not only a really, really shit color, but it has this one unbelievably obnoxious card. Screw white, you know. So, I also I also do think it's like what we were saying at the the top of the episode as well when it came to like people trying to push controversies on this set from a design point of view with mm. things like Jewel Lotus and Opposition Agent and Whole Breacher I think wasn't quite a, a shitstorm but people were still like eyeing it up being like oh this is a little bit broken maybe mm. I also do think that the the adage of in the set that's literally being built for Commander and will literally lead to them being put in hundred card decks how much of these cards are you going to see unless you're already playing someone who is just tutoring up for them in which case well that's just the world you're living in at that point anyway yeah, so yeah. they'll get bored and they'll get onto their next amazing hot stuff card eventually i'm sure i mean it, i yeah. guess the difference is something like smothering tithe did become fairly ubiquitous and i can understand there's an argument for well why wouldn't you run a whole breacher in most decks if you can obviously you definitely mm-hmm. run it in a Deck, say with opposition agent. If you're playing, and this is an argument maybe more towards CDH because uh, tutoring is much more prevalent there. Um, an opposition agent is essentially punishing tutoring. Which, how angry can you get about that? The only thing is, it's not just punishing tutoring; it's allowing you to tutor off of their tutor, which does feel very black. It does feel very kind of oh my god. It, it fits the flavor, even if there is mm. an objective kind of negativity around it. And saying that, there are some really good white cards in the set. Promise for t- of tomorrow, for example. Again, oh, maybe yes. it's maybe it's a and artwork. Who knows? <laughs> but um, the new chroma like, is just incredible incredibly yeah like they have got some very good cards also the newer chroma um, um interestingly enough being the only white um mythic part oh no kamal oh and and jessica and you know what never mind nathan shut up <laughs> <laughs> i literally my brain just went you're wrong you're, why are you why are you saying these things <laughs> shut up um talking yeah. about smothering tithe i play smothering tithe in two of my decks and mm-hmm. i play them both very often i can't remember the last time i played a smothering tithe and it made it around the table I'm very really, sad oh, you it. should try it. It's, it's really fun when it does. I played yeah. a game the other day. It was me and uh, both me and Will had um, had one in play at the same time. And there's nothing better than asking each other if they pay the tax and then asking everyone else twice if they're going to pay the tax. It was a oh, very yeah, fun. That's... It sounds great, yeah, doesn't that... it? it? Sounds fun. It sounds really fun. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I got my smothering tithe blown up in a three color deck uh, on turn four when I played it on curve, and then two turns later I got blood mooned. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh, I had one. Blood one moon in ETH is just beautiful sometimes. You're like, oh. <laughs> you didn't expect the blood moon. Yeah. And it always comes out mono red, so you can't even really get too angry about it. Uh, I think I think I think I think Mono Red might be the most understated boogeyman of the format because I played against a, a couple recently and no offense whenever I see someone sit down with Mono Red my in, my, my my sphincter clenches ever so slightly immediately so it's either Torbran or some or Krenko or someone like that you're like I might die by turn three like this might well, be my uh, <laughs> my Grenzo deck I tend to find because it gets in so early and because it creates so much disruption in turns uh, one through five. That by turn six, people are like, get that fucker off the table. He yeah, keeps right. making my shit attack. He keeps poking me for like two damage. We've all taken 10 damage. And you're like, yeah, cool. But by turn eight, I'm not going to get there. So why are you hating on me? But obviously, they don't know that. All they've seen yeah, you do all right. game is just needle them. And so, yeah, I tend to find I do get hated out with a mono red deck. Um, all right, cool. Let's talk about my last one then. My last one's going to be very quick because it's less of a design philosophy and more of just a cool thing I think they've done. And it's creature typings. So we've already spoken about the fact that they kind of brought back pirates. Um, but they've also done individual creature typings on legendaries, which I think are just really cool. And again, just maybe shows us that, you know, two years ago when everyone just went, why is everything a bloody human that they started mm. to maybe like pull back and kind of change up things? Um, so I'm just going to run down the list. So I'm going to do the ones where this is the first legendary of that creature that we've had, ones where it's the second legendary of that creature we've had, and other ones which are kind of interesting outliers. Um, I'm sure I've missed some as well. So if anyone is listening to this going, oh, you didn't mention that this was the first of that or the second of this, do let us know because we all want to learn together. So the firstly... Mm. We have our first Chimera legendary uh, in this set. The Chimera is uh, Nostro, Voice of the Crags. So it's our Jeskai Commander, which is pretty cool. We've had quite a few very powerful Chimeras recently, but that's our first legendary one. Um, we have our first rabbit uh, legendary creature <laughs> in the form uh, of Quain, Itinerant Meddler. Itinerant? Itinerant Meddler, Quain. Itinerant, um, yeah. Who's literally a rabbit wizard, and it's none of this moon folk nonsense. Everything about him is baffling. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's just... literally a rabbit, like an anthropomorphic rabbit. Very cool. Um, he's our uh, Azorius commander. We have our first elephant commander, which is pretty cool, in the form of our Selesnya. Uh, where is he? Is he Hamza? There he is. Hamza, oh, guardian of Arashin. Are we not? Are we not counting Frankie Peanuts then, because he was an uncommander. Well, he's an uncommander. So yeah, Frankie yeah, Peanuts yeah, obviously yeah. was our first silver-boarded one. Um, but this is our first one in uh, Magic. And the the Loxodons, which is the kind of generic term for elephant people in, in Magic, I kind of feel like we need to see more of them, because they are around. They are, they are yeah, yeah. Tarkir, Ravnica, they get, yeah, they're on yeah. a fair few places, yeah. So yeah. I kind of I feel like... I really interesting the other day in the, deck, in the game when I realised that there were both normal Loxodon and normal um, elephants and Loxodon in Tarkir, which was just mm. as confusing as the Knight of Windgrace riding a panther, even though she's yeah. the, of the Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, anyway. That, that typical creature flavour yeah. thing that we get in, stuck into aside, yeah, it's very cool for elephants to finally have a, a, a commander that can actually rep them and do so well. Sure. Um, next up we have Blim, Comedic Genius, the Rakdos commander we spoke about earlier, is our first imp commander ever, first imp legendary. Which that to me is really shocking. We've had devils and demons, but this is our first imp. Well, we only just um, got Zerzoth, right? Because Zerzoth was only within the last few months as well. So I feel like after they did Rakdos the Showstopper, they looked and went, well, how many playable imps and um, devils? Oh, well, not enough. Well, even, not even any legendary ones. Okay, let's fix that. 
That is very fair. Yeah, and also I like the fact that uh, comedic genius. He's very much he's part of like the the Rakdos review. I'm guessing, which yeah. we also do our, our other um Rakdos legendary in this set is jury master of the review who uh i believe was in the ravnica stories uh it does ring a bell j-u-r-i does ring a bell yeah yeah so there we go Um, next week anyway don't you worry we'll confirm that for next week we have (laughs) our first legendary horse in the uh familiar commander that i was talking about earlier uh, mm-hmm. where are you Keleth Sun Mare Familiar is our first horse legendary uh, so we have had a couple of unicorns um, so those are our ones for our first legendary, uh, first of that creature type second of that uh, legendary creature type we have our second turtle commander uh, mm-hmm. in the form of Arkelos Lagoon Mystic the Sultai one um, it's our second because the first one was the mono red one from uh, Ikoria Oh, of course, dinosaur Kodomo or whatever it was, wasn't it? Kido-Kido. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, we have our second unicorn legendary in the form of Lathleel, Bounteous oh, Dawn. Sure, yeah, after the um, Jumpstart one. Yeah, of course. After, so again, these are very close together and must yeah. have been sort of um, designed sort of very close together as well, which is kind of cool. Uh, and we have our second Kobold. Not even our first. It's our second one. Yeah, in yeah. The, we'll, we'll talk about the first one in, in our de- in our flavor review next week. But that is this. This is, I think, secretly my favorite commander from the set. I don't know why, but something about a zero mana commander just makes me all. And it, and it's a partner because I've got I've got a big hotness for partners. Yeah, I fucking love this guy. He's great. Yeah, Rograx, son of Rog- uh, Rogar, uh, who's the zero mana first strike menace trample commander. Yes, exactly. Only our second ever kobold. Someone asked us on our um, uh, LGS WhatsApp. Uh, they went, what's the difference between a kobold and a goblin? And I was like, in D&D, quite a lot. In mm. Magic, eh. Yeah, especially no. since this one's red <laughs> rather than blue as well, compared to the regular kobolds that we've well, seen. Kobolds in, kobolds in D&D are like more lizard-like. Yeah, they look a bit, yeah, exactly. They're more like the Ashino kind of looking things. Yeah. In Magic, they're just goblins. I think Magic takes a lot of artistic license for a lot of things. Also, they're both Wizards products, so I feel like you can kind of get away with dive diverting and divorcing kind of you know specificity on it potentially uh, and then so those are the ones for the second of the creature type again i think a few of those i might have missed but those are the ones that i saw and then we have a interesting case in yurlock the scorch thrash the uh Vyashino commander that i i uh, gushed about earlier on he is our third Vyashino legend because in Mirage, there were two summon legends that were mono red. Oh, was one of them Zerith of the Claw? The one that gets dragons, yes. I think? And I cannot remember yeah. what the other one is. Uh, the other one, one has a very similar name, but yes. Um, but they were both summon legends that then got errated to be Vyoshino legendaries. But at the, mm-hmm. in the time of printing, they were just summon legend. So he's our third Vyoshino. And again, the Vyoshino, a lot like the Lockstones, are a creature type where I'm like, there should be way more emphasis put on these people because they're interesting mm-hmm. right they're lizard people yeah i think anthropomorphic animals in general i think are a good space so i don't know if we've had a rhino for example like an anthropomorphic rocks um legends off the top of my head i can't think of one um but yeah, yeah. i like the idea of where they're pushing because it, it does it's more it's it's humanoid without it being just another human yeah i like my elves being very elfy and not just like oh it's a human with pointy ears and like a faraway look in their eye. Like, I really like it. I really like, I like the fact I that... Like I like the Abomination of Lanawar, which is, is uh, like, that artwork, good God, is horrific. From the, from the oh, yeah, Abomination of Lanawar might be one of the most horrific artworks we've ever yeah, seen. Well, terrible. that and um, Naviniral, 
might be yeah, scary. Right? Oh, on. that smiley dude. Look at his little smile. Isn't he lovely? Oh my gosh. If you haven't um, seen right, what... an image of Neverennial, please do, folks, because it is ooh, delicious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, yeah, that'll do it for me. Um, I think this set, as I say, as we said throughout the episode, I have a gut feeling that has been reinforced more things got spoiled, that this was actually going to be treated very well and that it wasn't going to be Modern Horizons and it mm. wasn't going to be like a busted wide open set and format. I do think I will get a little bit sick of people trying to trade and clamor for the jeweled lotuses or whatever. Like I've already seen it on like online and whatever. People are like, oh, if you ever open any of these, give it like I'll take all of them off your hands. Mm. I'll be like, all Especially right, when it's polarizing cards where some people might be unwilling to want to play them. Um, yes. I've seen a few people that go like, oh, I've just opened a mana crypt. Oh, what, what deck do I put it in? Do I need to break it? I'm like, no, dude, just shove it in whatever deck you want to. It's just it's just a mana box. Yeah. So Interesting. Exciting. I mean, Mana Crypt's a very good example of one of these chase cards where they've reprinted it in a few sets, I think, to bring the price down because they've realized it's not it's objectively not really as good as any other like as Sol Ring. Sol Ring is still yeah. objectively better than Mana Crypt. So why is this card better so than Lotus, even better like Lotus um Black Lotus yeah. is consistent exactly. and it's very powerful. Yeah. So they wanted like to kind of print it into sort of being a little bit lower price, but I also found a lot of people were trading away mana crypts as soon as they opened them to get more mm. product to open some of the more interesting stuff. And Precisely. I kind of, I do feel yeah. like it's going to happen here. I think people in general, and this is something I said on Twitter when people were going nuts about like some of these uh, like things that are being spoiled. It's something I've said in private to like friends of ours who play Magic, and I'll say it again here on our own podcast. You don't have to play cards like a wanker if mm-hmm. you get an oppressive card. You don't have to be oppressive with it. Some mm. cards are very hard not to be oppressive with, but you still have the choice to not play them. Some cards can do many different things, some of which are oppressive and a bit of a wankerish thing to do. You don't have to play them that way. So if you get a busted and broken card, don't just think, what's the worst thing I can do about it? Think mm. about what's the most creative way I can do about it. Like, yeah, do why, it. Do I, why do I like this card? Go and play it for the reason why you like it. Don't go, oh, okay, what else can I do with it? Oh, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, yeah, let's go and do that. I mean, that's I'm not going to lie. That's part of my my, my, my build philosophy. So, I'm, Some um, people I'm do. And also, uh, I think it's really important to state that when I say don't do a wankerish thing about it, that part of the statement is whatever that means to you. So yeah. if you and your playgroup really love trying to lock each other out or try yeah, or like really love comboing yeah. Like that. yeah or like if you really all your play group is all about trying to do commander damage as quickly as possible or your like play group is all about trying to do like the most insane you'll never guess what i'm about to do things possible whatever it is that you guys want to do use that as your threshold for going well what's the obnoxious thing i can do with this card i think that's Ooh. the thing that people forget being obnoxious is the subjective thing that's why it's so hard to do all the power levels and that's why the social contract is such a hard thing to nail down Mm. but if you feel like maybe the other players at the table have a different opinion to you as to what is being a wanker just be aware of that and maybe use that as your threshold going well i think it's okay to use this card three other people who i'm about to spend two hours with aren't happy with it maybe i'm slightly outvoted on this one (laughs) and just think about it you know and that's that's the whole thing. I've actually had a game recently where both me and my opponent both deliberately didn't make the play that would have dicked the other player over. Um, yeah, and they and they both got punished for it. So you know, I guess there's a lesson in there. But, you, know, you know, point being, if you can even within a game make a social contract to be like, well, this one card completely annihilates this one person. It's very lopsided. Maybe the next time I use discard a card, maybe I discard that one and take away yeah. the temptation. 
you know. I mean, yeah, okay, fair enough, it could be equal in some fashions, but if you're playing against a mono-artifact deck, you've got a Bane of Progress in hand. Unless it's 1v1, maybe think twice about it. Or use it as a deterrent, you know. If, the other, if they're playing mono-artifacts, maybe they're doing something obnoxious as well. But there again, it's <laughs> this idea of bargain, gamble, like, don't just don't just sit there and solitaire into douchery. Um, yeah. I think, I think, cause that's just a very, it's a very different game. Like that. I think a lot of people are struggling with, um, not being able to play in person. I don't find too much difference doing it with a head. Um, obviously we've, we've been doing this for over a year, for almost a year now. So we're used to talking remotely and, and being, um, sociable in, in, in a remote fashion. Whereas other people, that social contract might break down a little bit more when you have it online because you have that anonymity. It's somewhere similar to like, you know, speaking out on forums and you kind of don't have to be responsible mm-hmm. for your opinions. You do at all times and you can still engage and have this idea of community aspect and enjoy the different cards together celebrate seeing your opponent play a card that's new and doing something interesting and busty with it that inspires you to do maybe something similar like instead of just being entirely focused on what can i do to my opponents with this card it's more how can this card engage my play experience and make for more interesting turns that's exactly it it all boils down to attitude you can genuinely sincerely play whatever cards you like and that is for any card that is legal in this format. If it's legal, you can play it. Even if there are individual cards that I get annoyed by, I still will defend your right to be able to play those Mm. cards. It's about the attitude in which you go about playing this social format. And I think that's it for me. That's that's kind of like my full stop on where I am with my commander philosophies at the moment. Um, Yeah, there we go. Cool. I think that's kind of going to wrap us up for this episode. As I say, guys, this is the design sort of part of our um, set review, if you like. They're not really set reviews, but, you know, that's kind of closest thing we can call them. Uh, Next week, we will be looking at the individual uh, cards and where they sit in terms of the lore. There is so many cards that they brought back from Magic's history and lore and narratives that they've put into this set. Again, it is like very similar to how they did with Modern Horizons, where they gave people the, the legends that they always wanted into cardboard. They've done it again here. But they've pumped it up tenfold. And so what we'll be doing is we it won't be too much of a discussion episode next week. It'll be looking at our favourite legends, mine and Nathan's favourite legends, looking at where they come from in the lore, telling you where they come from in the lore, and having a good old natter about uh, magic characterization. Uh, and then we'll see where we're after that. If we enjoy next week enough, we may do another one. Or if we're sick of talking about these cards, we may move <laughs> on to something else. It's all, you know, in, in this world that we live in, fucking anything's possible (laughs) and that's very true for this podcast as well um cool nathan do you have any final thoughts i don't know i mean we didn't get a chance to talk about encore cascade specifically um but i think in general this set does a really good job of balancing everything whilst having a lot of power so if you can get out and open some do so try and do some remote playing if you can if that's the only way you can play i know in person might be a bit difficult now um slash impossible um but yeah if you can just have as i say enjoy enjoy the set open up see what you get and maybe just brew whatever comes to you rather than necessarily hunting to do something obnoxious and broken yes i will definitely be looking into a yorlock deck i think that's very obvious over the course of this podcast um well other than that guys all that remains to say is thank you so much for listening this has been magic the flavor we'll see you soon